Hey, welcome to Skeptic Hangout, the place where we sit back, relax, and chit-chat about intriguing and sometimes controversial topics through the lens of skepticism. We are Josh, Richard, and Laura, and we have back with us today our guest host, Dr. Richard Firth Godby here, author of A Human History of Emotion. Today, we are going to be discussing disgust, disgusting disgust, disgusting whatever, Go grab your English tea or your hot mate and join us as we discuss the gross, the bad, and the ugly. This is Skeptic Hangout. Discussed. All right. What have we got to say about disgust? I'll let everyone else go first because, you know, uh, th- th- there's a joke I tell that in my field, um, when everyone thinks of disgust, they think of me. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> is it because you're disgusting or because you discuss disgust or because disgust is your thing? I hadn't thought of that. I feel really bad now. That's what it is. <laughs> what, what, uh... I hate to be the bearer of bad news. Oh, but... yeah. I... I thought that was self-deprecation right there. So I was like, yeah, that's fine. I do self-deprecation all the time. Yeah. It's because I'm confident enough because I'm amazing that I can do self-deprecation. I sometimes need to self-deprecate just so I can like keep myself humble. Like I'll be like, oh my God, I suck so bad. And people are like, don't say that about yourself. I'm like, oh no, I need to. Like This, this is a necessary part of the balancing act. <laughs> and just for the record, when I think of disgust, I think of Josh. <laughs> okay wow i was doing self-deprecation that was just mean but uh talking about disgust i have a pretty high bar i've kind of desensitized myself to most disgusting things uh i think there, there's a couple triggers for me that i can get though and uh it's it's a pretty common one that's been said online it's uh the bunches of holes i, I can't remember what it's called like tr- trichophobia or something like that yeah, yeah. that's it uh that's like one of the very few things that can disgust me. I don't like seeing like beehives or stuff like that. That's uh, why the Candyman movies, despite me loving the first and the fourth one, uh, have moments where actually do bother me because you see like the holes on the skin, like all lumped together. And like that can do it for me. I can see people get their heads decapitated. I've seen people have uh, trigger warning, their dicks ripped off. But uh, that have been perfectly f- in movies. I just want to throw it out there. That <laughs> trigger warning was way too clarification. <laughs> trigger warning, dick to rip off. <laughs> I've seen all that. I've been perfectly fine. But just like the holes mashed together on people's hands or, or body just or is anywhere leaves me feelings of disgust everything else though for the most part i'm pretty good i'm really hard to to get with any kind of feeling of disgust but disgust doesn't have to just be in response to like visual stimuli right like so you've seen a lot of horror movies and a lot of gross stuff and you're kind of desensitized to it and i'm somewhere in the middle where i can handle quite a bit but overly gory and it kind of gets to me um but man like disgust for me for example has way more to do with things like taste or or smells right so like, um, I'm the person who, if I can't remember how old the thing is in the refrigerator, even if it's only three days old, I will throw it away because I'd, I'd rather accidentally throw away good food than accidentally eat bad food. Um, because I have that disgust factor where if I put something kind of sour or kind of rotten or kind of off in my mouth, I instantly feel like overwhelming disgust. Right. And maybe I just haven't done it often enough to get desensitized to it. Um, but that to me, like disgust goes way beyond just what we see. It, it could be any number of experiences or even just like a 
thought, you know, like, wow, the thought of X happening absolutely disgusts me, right? Like Trump having sex. Oh, right. So <laughs> I don't know. what do you guys think about disgust, the Richards? I think we've just, I think we've just lost off of our audience. <laughs> They're all in the bathroom vomiting right now. They haven't. The thing about <laughs> disgust, right? I study disgust. It's what I do. Historically, modern disgust. That's my my field. That's my my bread and butter, rotting bread and so butter. That's what that is. Um, nobody's left. In fact, everyone's leaning in because the weird thing about disgust is we love it. We love toilet humor. We love gore. We love it. It's, it's somehow it pulls us in as much as it pushes us away. It's a very strange relationship we have with the revolting. Um, yeah. Food disgust. Disgust is believed to be. I'll get the science out. I'll do the science bit. Then we can talk about yucky things. But <laughs> science, it is believed to be at its most basic, at its most primal, um, what's known as a pathogen avoidance system so we reject that which can make us ill so things that taste bad we've developed bad taste because things that taste bad can kill us and smell smell can kill us we look at a rotten apple we know it's a rotten apple we know not to eat it it can kill us we don't like the pathogens and the further theory is that when people behave in a way that society deems incorrect we see them as a pathogen as something that is a societal pathogen so we see that behavior as disgusting as well um and that is the cultural bit of disgust it can change from culture to culture but underneath we still have the yeah feeling um so that's and there's lots of brain chemicals involved that we're not entirely sure how they work we know that the that the um, amygdala is involved. We know that the uh, the the weird drop in things like oxytocin will drop and serotonin will go. And we've, uh, it's it's very complicated in the brain, but outside the brain, yeah, it's just that. Try not to die. <laughs> That's why I feel disgust. I like um, how you you did bring up like uh, we do love disgust though, and yeah. there's proof in some of the videos that go viral online. Mm. Uh, I'm gonna go. To a, a classic that I think everybody's aware of, which was a uh, two girls one cup. Oh, everybody yeah. I knew was disgusted by that. I thought it was fake, honestly, but everybody I knew was disgusted by that. But everybody I knew saw that video because it the disgust factor. Everybody wanted to share it with other people, and there's some curiosity about that kind of thing. Like you, you mentioned a Trump, Trump having sex. I'm almost positive that uh, if there was a video online. It would get everybody to everybody. Would watch it. Oh, yeah. 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 Just it, to see if there was a mushroom involved. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so it's interesting because you brought up two different types of disgust. And yeah. that's really, really cool because you have the kind that is just naturally occurring because your body is revolted by the idea of something that can make it sick. But then you also have culturally taught disgust. And that to me is really, really captivating because um, we really take for granted how programmed we are. And, and mm. I think it's really cool but it's also kind of heartbreaking to think that like hey some of what i was taught in terms of disgust um is really quite arbitrary it's just my culture values this over that and so my culture is teaching me that that is disgusting and i've come to believe it the problem is i don't think enough people um take the time and this is me being a little bit like um cynical here but people don't really take the time to challenge where those cultural beliefs come from and be like do i really Mm. need to be just like uh, my friend was talking the other day about um sex between siblings and his thing was like yeah it sounds ooky to us he's like but if they're not having children that could have genetic problems and if they're not hurting anybody and if they're consenting adults like 
who am I to tell a brother and a sister that they can't have sex? Like my advice then would be don't have children. Right. And, um, and he's like, I don't get why people make it so taboo. And that's interesting to me because that even hooked me out. The conversation we had about it made me feel uncomfortable and ooky. And I had to admit, I was like, oh yeah, no, I'm hooked out by that because I've been taught since my earliest ages that that is absolutely wrong, like wrong, bad. Yeah. And I kind of, I, I kind of know where Richard might answer this because I've spoken to him on this before and I've, I've heard him speak in person on his book tour about this. But if it's a case of it's both a cultural thing and kind of ingrained in us, is it nature or nurture? <laughs> you know what my answer is, don't you? Are you going to say My both? answer is yes. Oh, that makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's a bit of us. Even food, even food. Um, one third of the world's population eats eat insects as a source of protein every day, and the other two thirds go there. Yeah, I'm not going to eat a grasshopper. Um, it turns out they're really nice. Grass- I've actually had a grasshopper. Not oh, bad. I eat insects all the time. I've got a cupboard full of actually, and there are flavored insects right now. Uh, some barbecue ones that are amazing. Ooh, um, I believe it. Yeah, um, and. Um, they're a great source of protein, very low in fat, full of vitamins and vitamin B and stuff. They're fantastic and they're very good for the environment. We should actually be eating insects. Um, they take a fraction of the resources of, say, cow meat. So they are, yeah, they are a, a fantastic source of protein. But we've been raised, uh, and it's not just insects. If you've eaten anything Scandinavian in your life, well done. Uh, you're very brave. I, <laughs> I once got close to some. I got about a foot away from it. I went, oh, dear God, no. Uh, and that's about it was some fish that had been buried underground for 400 huh. years or something weird like that. Um, it was quite scary. Um, and there's cheese in Spain full of maggots, live maggots that they think is. A, if it's called a delicacy, it usually means that everyone else thinks it's horrible. Um, <laughs> that's kind of the rule. Uh, yeah. ch- China, where um, they like their snakes mm-hmm. uh, and toads. Snakes and not toads. so bad. The, the eggs, preferably the, alive. The fetuses is a little bit gross to me. Yeah, and, and live uh, live mice as well. It's quite a delicacy in some parts of China and things like that. So, food is a cultural thing as well. It's this pathogen thing is not as deeply built into us as possible. There are even this is the real. There are even some tribes in Papua New Guinea cannibalistic tribes that are on record as taking the intestines to their tra- to their chief so that he can heat, let's just say, the warm end part of the intestines with certain substance in it that you wouldn't think anybody would eat. Um, this is where I do lose the audience for their talk about people eating shit. But um, it Some happens. of us just have a shit-eating so, grin here. In there. <laughs> exactly. But um, So, yeah, it's, um, it is powerfully cultural. At the same time, yuck is a universal thing you'll find it everywhere and every when when you look at the historical record there'll be versions of it um, and my favorite one since we're this is the kind of podcast we are is that sin and most people don't realize this is the things that disgust god that's right. what sin is if you look at them all the original hebrew they're all different forms of things that make god go that's horrible they're either idolatry which he thinks is a a moral a moral yuck or they're food which is usually the foreigners food like pigs and shellfish who don't eat that foreign mucky that's kind of that's kind of stuff Mm -hmm. and then there's sort of just behavioral things like gambling and cheating which is again more disgust um so disgust has always been with us and it shapes some religions 
that uh, apparently uh, you Americans may have heard of. It's <laughs> Once fear or twice. Here yeah. Your politics. Yeah. You get involved now and again. Right. <laughs> yeah. We, we have a hard time separating our religion and our politics. We like to mush all of our social structures together until they're like inseparable. But um, no, it's interesting you said that because I, I remember having a conversation about that on one of our live shows. And I, I wish I could remember which one, one of the ones that we did for the ACA, where that's exactly what we were talking about is the idea that sin isn't what's morally bad or morally yeah. wrong in terms of harm or 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 a, a, a bad that it causes because the outcome it's morally bad because it hurts or offends god right and there, there's nothing yeah. more arbitrary than just some dude not liking this this thing or that yeah. right and um we, we can all agree like so god thinks murder is abhorrent it's one of the ten commandments right so we can agree to some of them some of them are really arbitrary like like um shellfish right or baby goats in their mother's milk right <laughs> like i mean i wouldn't want to do that either i'm a little bit disgusted by it but who am i to make it sinful for somebody else to do it yeah just to just to interject god thinks murder is abhorrent unless he's doing it or commanding it to be done because it doesn't affect in, him in when he case, wants a person dead absolutely fine yeah. Yeah. yeah it's fine as long as he's killing his own kid <clears throat> Yeah, it's, it's basically like God's okay sending the dick pic, but He doesn't want the dick pic sent back to Him. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of that that kind of scenario. <laughs> if we're gonna put it and in a Josh metaphor, if we're gonna put it in one sentence, so off topic. <laughs> I'm trying to put it in a metaphor that our listeners will understand. <laughs> Speaking of God, though, like uh, probably one of the most abhorrent things that uh that uh God believers will take is uh, they'll say like homosexuality is disgusting or something like that and that's something like that's definitely culturally religiously uh impacted in in people because i've been an atheist my whole life and never really had a problem with gay people because it wasn't something that was put into me as something that's gross but i've worked with a woman who like she took uh her iphone to me and she's it had two gay guys on a kiss and he's like isn't that disgusting like no that's two guys that, that like each other at least sexually, so that's perfectly fine with me. It doesn't make a it doesn't make a difference. I don't want in on it. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tap the shoulder and try to get in, but it's perfectly fine for other people to do what makes them happy. That's interesting because I was raised non-religious, but both my parents had come from very religious households. So even though they had kind of like denounced their religion, and my dad has since returned to his, but um, we were raised non-religious, but with a lot of those religious ideas like just shoved down into us, but through kind of a secular lens. And so I remember that I remember being very uncomfortable and disgusted watching um, certain things like even just public displays of affection between um, straight couples, but definitely seeing any sort of affection with gay couples made me incredibly uncomfortable and disgusted, like you said. And I remember Mm. as a young adult starting to challenge some of those beliefs and ideas and kind of starting to come into my own. um, I remember like actually sort of forcing myself to be okay with looking at pictures of two guys or two girls kissing because I was like, I didn't understand that there was anything wrong with it. And I didn't understand why I felt so much disgust. And when, when um, Richard talked earlier about like the cultural programming that can go into um, our perceptions of what is disgusting. Mm. Um, I didn't think about that at the time. All I thought of was like, I'm disgusted by it. I know I shouldn't be. So I'm going to force myself to become desensitized because yeah. um, I don't want to be that dick that like has a problem with something yeah. so arbitrary. The interesting thing is the um, this sort of revulsion towards homosexuals is is getting over it is kind of recent. Um, you can see it in scientific literature there is something called the disgust scale, 
And what it is, it's a series of questions. You ask these questions and people who are um, very sensitive to physical disgust often tend to be quite politically extreme. There's a purity thing going on. Um, they originally thought it was just right wing. Then they went to a left wing college and the same thing happened. People are very left, a sort of more physically disgusted by things than people who are centre. Um, but the in the 80s, the disgust scale had the question in it. You sit next to somebody and you discover that they are gay. Because it was taken as granted that people go, oh, I'm disgusted by that, who are very sensitive to it. Wow. It's now it's not even in there. It's been taken out because, you know, it's. Well, we just come a long way. Well, yeah. Also, yeah. it was completely different because there was the whole AIDS, HIV scare. Yeah. It, was, it yeah. wasn't just religion that was uh, putting in, uh, the disgust into people. It was like poorly, poorly put out their facts, facts about how AIDS was spread. And they were it was like told as a gay disease so then that might have tipped the scale and discussed back in the 80s where if you go back into roman times everybody oh, was wow. doing everybody and that when you <laughs> it was register on the disgust t- scale they had a totally different attitude to gender and sex and everything so you know it was all about giving and taking um <laughs> it was who was giving and who was taking and it was not really about what you were giving it to and taking it with <laughs> Um, <laughs> very much shows discuss this a largely societal. I I don't know if everything is like you've said the pathogen things. Like we'll yeah. probably have like a most people will probably have a problem with like the old food. Although I've taken a lot of risks with old food, but it's because I've never had uh, food poisoning before. So I'm feeling adventurous about going into the food that might have been out there a little bit longer than it should have. I've also had a. Uh, gas station sushi and been just fine so like i'm willing to test the boundaries while other people will see gas station sushi and they'll be disgusted by the idea of eating it i don't have the revulsion because i've never felt the sickness involved in uh old food or bad food so it's perfectly fine for me to go and take those risks so uh past experiences like getting Mm. horrible horrible food poisoning probably adds into disgust because you're going to flash back to those horrible moments I have some yeah. liquors that I don't drink anymore because uh, it just the idea of drinking them makes me want to throw up from my days when I was getting blackout drunk every single weekend. So like, it's definitely some of it's learned through over uh, indulgence, I guess. Yeah, they say that. Um, well, it looks like a lot of discussed can be lurk create. I think the phrase they use is instant heuristics. So rules of thumb in the brain that you go like that, and sometimes you'll have something. It'll make you violently ill and your brain will go, never again. Because your brain thinks when you're disgusted, your brain's trying to stop you from dying. That's what it's doing. So it doesn't do it by half. It just gets in there most of the time. Nope, never again. Do not have that sushi. No, that's really, really interesting. And that kind of shows how, because I know that um, Jilliver talks a lot about like his favorite thing to say is our brains are shit, right? And and no doubt, like they're they're very faulty little computers. And um, so we think that there's like this perfect process that's going on that like um, our brain discovers X and it's correct, therefore X in the future and it's always right. And that's not true at all. And I, I love that you just said that because I had a lot of aversions to certain foods after I was pregnant with my first child because I threw up a lot. Like I was sick the entire pregnancy and, and it was a horrible experience. And I remember I knew by the end of the pregnancy, I knew all my favorite foods to throw up and I ate them the most often because if I did get sick and threw it up, I could handle it. And I'll tell every, like, here's for the audience, cream of wheat tastes exactly the same coming up as it does going down. Right. (laughs) Um, 
but it was terrible. So I didn't like to this day, I don't care for iceberg lettuce. And I used to have no problem with it. I used to eat it in my salad on my burgers. And like to this day, it has a bitter, nasty taste. Well, that bitter, nasty taste is probably like my memory of stomach acid or something. I don't know. But it's interesting that you bring that up because I wasn't sick and there was nothing wrong with the food, but my brain did make a very, very heavy connection. Yeah. At the same time, in reverse, you can desensitize to disgusting things, thankfully. Mm -hmm. Um, It's it's one of those things that uh, a lot of the uh, satanic panic brigade, I hate you putting brigade on the end of things, but it works here. (laughs) Um, They all say that, oh, these people are desensitized to computer games. That's why they're going and shooting everybody. And that's... So desensitization has a bad rap, but you know, every surgeon in the world is desensitized to your innards. If they couldn't, they couldn't do any surgery. Um, and uh every treatment for phobias, you know, if you've got a certain kind of phobias, it's usually desensitizing you to the thing that is causing you phobia. Because a lot of phobias are based on disgust as they are as much as they are fear, like mm-hmm. spiders and that kind of thing. Um so yeah, disgust is interesting that you can get it very quickly and you can lose it slowly but you can lose it you can lose it again so what you need to do is start with a little bit of lettuce yeah and then a little bit more and then <laughs> before go. you know it Mix six it months down line salad. big salad yeah you, you know yeah. yeah i mean all you have to do Eating is go to like a fat, all you have to yeah. do is go to a fast food place and almost every single time they'll have more lettuce than a cheese than your burger and right you and you know what i like do i pick days. it off <laughs> Like my, my salads are mixed greens or spinach or like green leaf. Yeah. It's so funny. Like, um, but, but you're right. Like just adding a little bit of it in here and there, maybe that would be not a bad plan. I did not think doing an episode on disgust would start talking about lettuce. We've literally gone from people eating shit to lettuce in one episode. (laughs) And Laura would prefer to eat the shit than the lettuce is what I we're certainly would not. Here. No, no. Actually, give me the iceberg at that point. I, I will stomach it if I have to. <laughs> I mean, we're not going to force you to eat. We're not going to give you a plate of shit and lettuce and make you choose on this podcast. We're not doing that till right. the 100th episode. Josh might make me eat cilantro because that's the kind of person he is, oh. but not not iceberg. There's a disgust that doesn't make, well, is weird for people because that's like a you have a gene for that disgust. So that's another floor that place that uh, disgust yeah. could come from because a cilantro to me, just I could shovel that in my mouth with just like some onions, maybe for just a little bit of extra flavor. And I would be good. Laura feels like she's drinking Dawn soap is what she's told me. It's like a mix between soap and like, I don't know, like orange juice. Like it, it goes up into your nasal passages and it makes me want to vomit. Yeah, it's it's really bad. Yeah, the other one is, is Brussels sprouts. Um, sprouts, a lot of people hate them, just so hate good. them. I but the chemical they have in them, I can't remember what it's called now. I should know it, but I can never remember it. But there's a chemical in them that some people are genetically disposed to find really bitter, and some people aren't. They've actually bred it out of them now. So you don't, everybody should actually like sprouts, and they don't know it because they won't go near them because when they were kids, they were revolting. Um, but yeah, they've bred the chemical out. Um, that's funny because i love brussels sprouts but i didn't start eating them until i was an adult yeah yeah, i probably didn't have my first brussels sprout until like three years ago i'm like calvin from calvin Hobbes is making was having problems with these these are delicious yeah my kids love them (laughs) yeah so that's interesting when we talk about genes because i have i have the the whatever for um for cilantro and i'd love to hear if you know anything about that um richard and like expanding on that but I also find things bitter that people don't find bitter, like melons. Like I hate any mm. kind of melon. It it tastes it doesn't even taste sweet or yummy to me. It just has a really nasty, sharp, 
bitter taste. And people are like, no, no, it's, it's like sweet. It's mellow. It's delicious. It's refreshing. And yeah, I, I don't know where they're getting that idea. That's yeah, a new it's, one. it's, uh, I found the name of the chemical that's in these things that some of people are very sensitive to. Now, bear with me. <clears throat> Phenylthiocarbamide. Hmm. Um, it's a chem- it's chemical similar. It's one of the th- one of that family. And some people are really sensitive to it. And you do find it in melon. You find it in lots of other things as well. And some of us don't have the gene and don't taste it at all. So wow. that would be why. So, um, Josh, you don't have that gene. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a new one for me because i've heard this congratulations from... for being born <laughs> right <laughs> i thought i did a pretty good job at it like i've been <laughs> celebrating it for 35 years because i did such a spectacular job of being born but that that's a new one i didn't know about the the melon one is it like all melons or is it just all like melons watermelon? Yeah. wow yeah because I, I know people that can't take the texture like the texture of the melons will gross them out like my brother doesn't eat watermelon because of uh, the texture of the watermelon grosses them out and there's like pe- some people are the same way with like coconut texture overrides flavor for them and that's where mm-hmm. their disgust comes from so we're, i'm yeah. just trying to dive into all the areas where people find disgust i'm not disgusted by it too much so like most of this is like this is all good stuff for me except for the shit eating which i haven't tried honestly so maybe i'm missing out maybe i had that gene that makes shit taste like ice cream <laughs> I don't know. I think I, that's I, one of those things where if you go your entire life not exploring, I think you'd be okay. Yeah, you'd be fine. I don't know. It's, I feel it's, like it's I'm missing the, out. You know, talking about Chuck different kinds of disgust, and I, I'm not sure if I've heard you speak about this before, Richard. Is is the kind of different mechanisms for different kinds of disgust, or does it all come from the same place? Well, that's where the debate is. We know that the insula. Uh, is activated in a very similar way, whether it's moral disgust or physical disgust. They seem to share um, a, a an activation. But of course, we can't. The brain is looking at the brain is more difficult than most neuroscientists will admit. Um, so we can't see much. And we think the insular actually controls levels of emotional uh, valence of, of sort of um, strength if you like how good or bad you feel something and how strong you feel it um so it might not be specific but there seems to be some kind of brain similarity with both forms of disgust however at the same time disgust as we understand it in english in the west because languages have different words for this and different understandings it's kind of it dates back to about 1720 1730 when a bunch of Taste theorists who were into their aesthetics, as they'd later be known, um, which, by the way, were the same as morals, because if something was physically beautiful, it was also morally good. They use the same language for both. Um, They wanted an opposite of beautiful, sort of the most perfect taste, the most tasteful. And they found this word that someone had nicked 100 years ago from Italian. Um, a guy called Florian nicked it, put it in English, disgust, which just meant taste bad. And they started to use it for morally bad and physically bad. And that's kind of where we got it from. Um, this modern notion of disgust of that, which is the opposite of nice, <laughs> if you like, of tasty. Um, and so um, there is some kind of brain mechanism. But of course, emotions aren't a brain circuit despite what people used to think emotions use all your brain so when you find something disgusting you don't 
necessarily just go yuck your brain remembers the thing your last time you had it it taps into your memories you might be brought up like you say to do like it or not if it's an insect or if it's whatever um you may have got a gene that's involved there may be some basically your whole brain goes right what's going on something's wrong what all right what is it ah that's that thing that's disgust happens in a flash and you go there um or evil because the word changes over time um and yeah it's so the answer to that question is possibly there it's just as I've said many times, uh, studying the brain involves taking some emotions in the brain. And I've done this involves taking somebody, getting them to put a gown on, getting them to lie on the back, getting them to have their head strapped still so it doesn't move. Stick them in a massive tube that makes a huge amount of noise and saying, we're going to show you some pictures now. Feel as you normally would. <laughs> OK, there's nothing problematic about that at all. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> So um, there's some really good science being done now in virtual reality with um, different technologies to monitor the brain. So it's getting yeah. better because that's more realistic. They can still control it, but you feel more like you're in a real world um, a little. But um, yeah, it's so probably there's probably a link between moral and physical disgust in the brain chemistry. But what it is, we don't really know. There's a classic paper from 1998 that a lot of people quote. The paper's called Disgust. And that says Clever categorically that the brain flashes the same bits in both uh, both moral and physical disgust. But it's from 1998 and things have moved on somewhat since then. But it's one of those bits of science that lingers. Last episode talks about bad science. That gets in that category. Science that lingers and people won't let go of, even if it's been debunked a thousand times. That's one of those. Yeah, brain science is uh, interesting anyway because it's it's especially imaging. Brain imaging is yeah. relatively new. It's only been happening for yeah. the last thirty years. Yeah. It's very, very, very new, and yeah. and it's constantly being refined. And you're like, you still, I have conversations with people now, and they they'll talk about, oh yeah, but the you know this shows up in brain scans and stuff, and they're talking about stuff from nineteen ninety five. When, when yeah. it was barely like five, six years old since the first brain scans were being done. Yeah, back when they did the brain scan of a dead fish to show how um, badly it can be uh, manipulated. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So yeah. Disgust almost seems like an overworked mechanism to the point where it can be completely used to manipulate people into oh. like... Ooh bad ideas and stuff like that like it almost seems like it's too overactive and like people that know about it know how to use it in order to like uh militarize people into their viewpoint and you can almost you can indoctrinate somebody with disgust with little bits of knowledge of it it seems it seems like it's an old evolutionary old trait that we've uh, gotten through evolution that seems to it serves some purpose, but it's way too damn active in us today to the point where it can make us very stupid. Yeah, well, and yeah. we don't like feeling it, right? So if you can program someone to feel disgust towards something, and they're going to have an aversion to it. Like when you said that, the first thing I thought of was like the abortion argument. Like the language used is murdering babies, right? We yeah. all feel disgust over the idea of murdering a baby. So you start to use language like that, and then you get people who don't know the science or haven't really thought about it. 
And you can easily, even once you present them with good data, they will still be disgusted by the idea because that is not something that goes away. Like I still struggle um, having a very, very racist father and the, the way he would make me feel disgust towards um, any race other than my own. I still get uncomfortable with people in public, even knowing that I shouldn't feel that un- that discomfort. And I just try my hardest to not let it show. Um, but it doesn't go away automatically. Like even knowing that the, the kinds of things he taught me are not true. Um, the feelings of of fear or disgust are still there. So I think you bring up a very, very poignant point, like mm. how much of our politics and our idea of what laws should be on the table are a direct result of that kind of um, emotional manipulation where you make something ucky. Like who cares about right or wrong? Just make it feel ucky. Like what you said with the, the, yeah. the gay, gay men kissing, right? <laughs> like that, that to me is insane. Well, there's like people like Matt Walsh, who I'm going to say I'm disgusted by that guy, uh, who is pushing like uh, transphobic propaganda all based around his disgust. There's nothing based on the yeah. actual science. Because if you yeah. look at the actual science uh, with trans people, it very much verifies their identity, but they're not interested in the science. They're interested in trans people make them feel icky. So they're going to like try to they're going to try to make them look like the villains for their personal feelings when like people like matt walsh should look inside and like try to see why does this make me feel like instead of like demonizing the people that are just trying to live their own damn lives yeah i mean one of the most famous examples of this in history apologies to godwin but um is the film the eternal jew which was a nazi propaganda film which basically likened jewish people to rats so they are rats and they are they are vermin and they are disgusting. They need eradicating. Um, and that, you know, powerful stuff and led to very bad things. It can be used, disgust can be used. Witchcraft, uh, the witch trials are very much based on a type of religious disgust called abomination, which is the sinful thing. And that's the idea that a witch, is, as well as lots of politics and top down, so there's all sorts of factors that cause a witch craze. But also, they would be they were objects the women were seen as objects of revulsion of disgust they often witches were depicted as as being older and less firm than people might like because um judging women by their bodies isn't a new idea unfortunately so you know and if they were younger witches and how they behaved they behaved wrong um and again disgust had played a huge role in that um so it is a can be a very very dangerous thing and we see in politics all the time immigrants you know in the uk the current government is basically vilifying and forming this disgust rhetoric around people who are so desperate to get somewhere safe that they'll risk a dinghy across the english channel right. apparently these people are revolting in some way they're they're they've been described as, as uh an infestation and that kind of language and it's just you know um can be dangerous discussed yeah politically it's, it's really effective for garnering public support like if, if, if a government yeah. wants the people to not push back against something they're trying to do get them disgusted and it doesn't matter what the science yeah. is. It doesn't matter what the truth is. Um, it, it's it's almost like that takes front seat. I mean, that's what yeah. the whole groomer thing is about right now, where uh, the right is accusing uh, anybody that they deem disgusting as groomers, despite the right. fact that there's no evidence that like 
drag queen shows are anything sexual or grooming yeah. or like uh again trans and gay people they seem to be the biggest target of the right wing's disgust right now and so they're trying to like weaponize other people's disgust and they're like saying any of these people are pedophiles which i think I, i'm not 100 percent on this but i think this is similar to how the nazis used uh disgust is mm. and like weaponizing it against people is uh trying to make them seem like th- them living their own lives is somehow uh, abhorrent or unsafe for children because of they're going to be do disgusting things for them when it's based on zero facts zero statistics are showing that uh that this is happening you might find like a pedophile uh, trans person but they're not like the setting the trend and it's not because yeah. they're trans right that yeah. has, the two are not yeah. connected no. in any way shape or form yeah um it used to be it used to be uh, gay people it used to be gay men specifically in fact um that, that you know they were always pedophile they shouldn't be allowed near children they shouldn't and you still get that attitude now from certain types yeah. and it's just it's yeah it's weaponizing disgust and it can be weaponized and often is weaponized um and uh the trick is to try and spot it to try and spot when they are trying to make you feel about something rather than necessarily think about it too hard it's difficult um, for people when they don't have the the skepticism to look at it and they're just getting hit with it over and over and over again like uh they have fox news on at my gym so when i'm at the elliptical i can see tucker carlson uh saying horrible things the entire hour that i'm on the elliptical and like this is bad. And then people that don't know how to like look at this and try to parse out what's fact and what's just wrong propaganda. It's going to, you get fed you over and over again. You're going to start believing it. You, you bring something up that makes me think of, of disgust in the reverse, right? So you're, you're saying that like, okay, so Fox news, for example, is making people feel disgust on all these topics. And so these people aren't really looking into it. They're not researching it. They're just kind of taking it at face value and how they feel about it. What's interesting is as you're talking, I'm feeling disgust, right? And so when I see Fox News, I get angry, I get disgusted. And that is also a learned reaction. And what that does is it shuts down my skeptic to where I'm going to automatically reject a lot of what they say just because it came from Fox News. And now if I hear it somewhere else too, um, I, I am more likely than not to to give it more credence. But if, you know what I'm saying, like I, I automatically have that that feeling of disgust to where when um really conservative republican christian nationalist type people start spouting something i am more likely to be automatically disgusted with that idea and that's wrong right because what they could be saying something like you know cars emit x amount of whatever right and they could be spot on and i'm going to automatically reject it until i hear it somewhere else because that disgust so it's interesting that you say that because it works it works both ways I think I actually experienced exactly that about a year ago, might be more, when Boris Johnson uh, made a speech. And all the way through the speech, I'm thinking, eh, <laughs> shut up. Uh, and then he talks about, because the, the one positive of that man, he's very, he's quite a green. He's quite a green. He's, he actually buys into it completely. And he's, he started talking about replacing our electrical infrastructure with more renewables and some nuclear power stations. And I was like, oh, hang on, actually, no, 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 that's a good point. Ooh, I feel dirty. And I immediately felt dirty because I was agreeing with Boris Johnson. Like, oh, horrid. <laughs> you gotta go take a shower afterwards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, it's 
it can blind you, but also it can, it's, I mean, there are certain emotions that we like to call the gatekeeper emotions, the moral gatekeepers. That's one of them. Shame is another. And, you know, there's several ones out there. Um, but disgusts are particularly powerful. That's why I'm fascinated by it. I'm fascinated by it because it's, it's a gatekeeper because it can cause so much harm because it can make us laugh as well and has been able to for for as long as we've got records. One of the earliest records of the Arabs during the crusades is a guy running across to a sultan and saying the crusaders are attacking the crusader farting and saying that's about as much as use as the thing you just told me uh so you know fart jokes go back a long 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 way <laughs> and uh gargantua and pantagruel that goes on about how a swan's neck is the best thing to wipe your ass with uh you know so it's it's a weird emotion it's a very strange film that's the side <laughs> that i thought we were going to be going into more when we talked about this topic because i love there, the, i think uh late 90s early 2000s gross out humor was the big style of humor at the time yeah and i still find I still laugh at that kind of stuff to to a degree. I, there's some other things in those in those comedies that are a little haven't aged well, but like a fart joke la- gets me to laugh all the time. Like <laughs> I remember uh, the first time I saw Nutty Professor in theaters with my grandma, uh, they had the fart scene at the table, and I was laughing for like 20 minutes. The scene had ended like 10 minutes ago, and I was still <laughs> laughing as a little kid in the theater. So like, yeah, there's something disgusting about farts, but they're still very funny to us. I find people in person, vomit makes me want to throw up. It disgusts me. Seeing other people get vomited on or just vomiting on the screen makes me laugh every single time. And I'm not sure how that works because in person, disgusting makes me dry heat. On the screen, seeing it happen, uh, something disgusting like that happening makes me laugh. I'm not sure why our emotions work like that. Emotions are about context. As simple as that. <laughs> I was going to say, maybe maybe we could have um, Richard end on, on that one since it's coming up to the end of the show, but that was a little bit too brief. So, um, yeah, what are your guys' final thoughts on Disgust? And Jilliver, since you haven't spoken in a while, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass it off to you first. I, I've I've learned a lot from uh, over the last few months from uh, speaking to Richard and reading his book, which I'm going to advertise Right and I will now. put a link in the in the show notes for for those of you who are are interested. That's the American yeah. cover. <laughs> That's the one. So I, I, I learned. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, there's an audio book version as well, and foreign language versions. If you want to read a foreign language, twenty two languages. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's a. I I've learned a lot about emotion. I was already really interested in kind of brain science and uh, emotion and things and. Uh, myself and Richard have spoke before about a different scientists in that kind of field. Um, so I'm, I've already had an interest, but I have, I genuinely have learned a lot about disgust from reading Richard's <laughs> work. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if that's a compliment or not. There's um, no good way to say something nice about that. Book. <laughs> Well, the book's not um, all about disgust. I talk about love and I talk about fear and I talk about shame and I talk about lots of other things, but there is a big chunk of disgust in there. <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's definitely interesting uh, and the different contexts, the different cultural contexts is, is something that's well worth a, a little bit of reading up on uh, and, and, I just find it fascinating. I just think we as people 
having uh, brains that are essentially shit but brilliant at the same time is fantastic. It's 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 amazing that we we kind of we go through life thinking, for example, things like memory, like we we kind of perceive them as video recordings. Mm-hmm. And 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 that's how we talk about them, but that's not actually how it works at all. And and you know, there's there's so much to be said from kind of digging beyond the surface. So you know, I, I think everyone should go out and learn a little bit more about disgust. I love it. I, I learned a lot this episode about my own concepts of disgust, like just the different various um, stories I've told about about like my past and how I'm programmed. I'd never really thought of those things. Um, and I, I never really thought about even like the cilantro thing. I never thought about it as disgust, but really that's, that's what it is. Right. So it's, it's interesting the different ways in which it manifests in our lives. And um, like, I really learned a lot about myself in this particular episode. And I really appreciate that. Um, Josh, what are your, what are your closing thoughts? I really learned a lot about Laura in this episode. So I'm pretty happy about that. <laughs> I think you all did. <laughs> uh, Honestly, I thought this was going to be a, a more jokey episode. I expected to be putting out a lot more fart humor. I sn- I tried. There wasn't really any humor. It was just t- like you talking about enjoying farts. Uh, <laughs> this went a little deeper than I expected. Uh, it was a good talk. But, uh, disgust permeates uh, our entire existence, it seems. It's, uh, it can make up a lot of who we are uh, just in trying to avoid disgust. So it was a good good talk. All right, so I, I find give... it interesting that we're disappointed. Someone's disappointed that we had a deep. And... We are <laughs> capable of like, being so rather than talking about farts. I'm shallow. <laughs> well, I want. I know we got to close up here shortly, so I want to give our guest Richard the final thought before we close out the show. Oh, I've got many thoughts, but basically, um, never underestimate the power of disgust. It is an extraordinarily potent emotion and um just check yourself when you feel it because sometimes it's the right thing to feel but quite often somebody's making you feel it for a reason um and uh because it's an easy way to get you to do things so yeah uh, be aware be aware of your disgusting feelings all right so thank you guys all for joining us today um, don't forget to head over to our Facebook discussion group and put in your two cents about disgust. What disgusts you? Um, what different things do you feel disgusted by that maybe you shouldn't? Maybe you should think twice about where that disgust comes from. Um, and um, give us your thoughts. And yeah, check out check out the book because that's that's fascinating to me. Um, we'll definitely put a link of it on the show notes, and we'll put a link on the Facebook post as well that has our episode. Mm-hmm. So. Give it a look, and until next time, nope. keep questioning. Nope, interrogate, interrogate your, your beliefs. beliefs. <laughs> this gets a cool.